Good morning, church family. I'm sitting in the second row, and they said the children and all involved can be dismissed. I heard all this commotion. I went, they're all leaving. They're all leaving. I'm just going to have Brother Shot. He and I, I'm going to preach to him. Not that he doesn't need it, but uh, no, good to have you. I'm glad you stuck around, and I uh, uh, just want to say thank you already for your hospitality. We're enjoying 50 amps, and good to see the beautiful weather some of you ordered up for us. It's blessing already. And good to be here with you. Real quickly, does everybody have the handout that we're going to be filling out? It is in your bulletin. And if you need a bulletin, which would have the handout, or an ink pen to write with, all right? Just slip your hand up real quickly. And our ushers, wherever they are, I'm looking our ushers there. Where are our ushers? <laughs> if you need a pen or a handout, just raise your hand very quickly. I want to be sure everybody has it. This lesson is a very unique lesson. You don't want to miss this. It'll be something you'll use for the rest of your life. Real quickly, you say, I need a pen or I need a handout. Just slip your hand up. Got one up here. Brother, thank you, Caleb. Appreciate that. Anybody else? Real quickly, just say, one right over here, Sister Sonny. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, real quickly, anybody else? All right. Take your Bibles. Go to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Once you find your place, if you're able to stand comfortably, stand with me, and I know you have it. Joshua chapter 24. The children of Israel are about to go to the land, possess their inheritance. Joshua gives them an incredible exhortation in Joshua 24, beginning in verse number 14. Joshua 24, beginning in verse number 14. He's challenging the people of Israel. He's challenging the children of the Lord. Notice what he says. Now, therefore, Joshua 24, 14, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Verse 15, and if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. He gives them a couple of options whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, there's option one, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, there's option number two. Then he gives them a third option by saying this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice the people respond in verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Notice their resolve. Notice they say, we take you up on this offer, and God forbid that we for, should forsake the Lord and serve false gods. He chides them in verse 19. Joshua said unto the people, ye cannot serve the Lord, for he's an holy God. They respond again in verse 21 and say, nay, but we will serve the Lord. You can't talk us out of this. In verse 24, the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. Their resolution and their resolve to serve the Lord is incredible. But turn two pages to Judges chapter 2 and notice something that takes place shortly after this resolve and resolution from God's people. In verse 6, and when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And to all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. 
Verse 8, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. Verse 9, they bury him. And now look at this sad epitaph in verse number 10. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. And there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord. There were yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And look at this sad epitaph. And they followed other gods. The people of Israel say, God forbid that we should not serve the true and living God. And yet two generations later, there arises another generation that does not know the Lord. They forsake the Lord, and they serve other gods. Could I remind you this morning that the crown is not guaranteed to endure to every generation? Just because you're serving Him today doesn't necessarily mean your children will. Just because your children are serving the Lord does not guarantee the fact that your grandchildren will. There's an automatic digression. Things left to themselves have a tendency to deteriorate. These three chairs, they represent the three generations I want to preach on today. I've just called this thought, three chairs. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege to be in your house and with your people. Lord, as we bow our hearts before you, I pray this morning that you would, Father, cleanse us of any sin that would hinder your Holy Spirit working. Help us to set aside busy thoughts and cares and concerns and Father, for a moment of time, as this world is shut out, may your word be pressed into each and every heart that's here. Lord, I pray for the one among us who has never made peace with you. They do not know your Son as their Savior. They are yet unforgiven and in their sins. I pray this morning would be the day, and today would be the day their faith would find a resting place in Jesus Christ alone. Cleanse and forgive them, I pray. And then for each of us that are saved, Lord, we recognize our heart is prone to wander. And Lord, in a day where there's many voices speaking, Father, may we remain passionate for Thee and for Thy Son. Use this message in our hearts, and where there's a wandering heart today, call that heart home, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Three chairs. I want you to take your pen this morning, and in Judges chapter 2, I want you to put a little tick by one of three generations. I want to just mark our three generations that we find in Judges chapter 2. The first generation is found in verse 7. The Bible says, And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. Put a little mark there, the Joshua generation. One of those chairs is the Joshua chair. Put a little mark there. Then it goes on to say this, In all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua. There is a second generation. Those that lived longer than, than Joshua. The elders that outlived Joshua generation. Put a little tick there. And then go down to verse number 10 where we find that third and final generation. It says, also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. There arose another generation after them. There's your third generation. Another generation after that second generation. We have up here three chairs. These three chairs represent those three generations. But second of all, those three chairs this morning 
represent three kinds of people that are in this auditorium today, that are in America out there, and they are also in the world. Now, we have some goals today. When we get done with this message, at the end of this lesson, you should be able to accomplish three goals. Look at your notes. Goal number one, when I get done this morning, you should be able to identify where you sit. When we get done with this lesson today, you should be able to identify which chair is your chair. One of these three. Second of all, you should be able to identify where your children sit. Mom and dad, you should be able to, each of your children, figure out where they're seated in relationship to this message. And then thirdly, you should be able to identify, I don't know if we have, yeah, we have young people here. This is always fun to do. You should be able to identify where your parents sit, all right? When we get done with this lesson, you should be able to go up to mom or dad and say, I found your chair, all right? That's always fun to do, amen? If you're a young person, this is your moment, all right? Let's go ahead and look at two obvious chairs and two obvious generations first. Chair number one. What is chair number one? Well, I've given it a label. You want to write this in. Chair number one is the godly chair. This is the godly chair. Look at how it's described. Joshua chapter 24. Look with me. Just write that in. It's Joshua's chair. Uh, how is that described? Joshua chapter 24. Look at what's said in verse 14. This is the Joshua chair. He says, now therefore fear the Lord. And serve him in sincerity and in truth. Look at verse 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then he closes out the end of verse 15. But as for me and my house, flag plant. We will serve the Lord. That first chair is the godly chair. It's Joshua's chair. And those seated in the chair, let's describe it. It's relationship to God. Notice those in this chair, their relationship to God, write this in, is commitment. Those in the godly chair, those in the Joshua chair, they're not just involved in the things of God, they're committed. There's a flag plant attitude, they are all in. I remember years ago, after we had left Alaska, we were in evangelism, all of our children had pretty much left, one of our daughters went back to Alaska and worked for a couple years up there, her name was Robin. She called me one day and said, Dad, I bumped into somebody that knew you, and we were just talking, and he looked at me, and he, and he asked this question, is your dad still serving the Lord? I said, well, what did you tell him? She said, I kind of got upset. And I looked at him, and I said, my dad is always going to serve the Lord. That's just who my dad is. It was just that incredulous voice of a child standing up for their parent. Now, she doesn't know me as well as I know me, all right? I would just say, by the grace of God, I'll always serve the Lord. But I will say this, you have a reputation, mom and dad. You are a byword. You have a certain level of character, and your children ultimately, above all else, know who you really, really serve and who you really, really are. Amen? And isn't it a blessing to have your children say, hey, my dad, he just always going to serve the Lord. My mom, what are you even wasting time asking that kind of question? They're all in. They're totally committed to the Lord till they die. That's the reputation you want. 
Amen? Those in that godly chair have that. Theirs is not involvement, it's commitment. You know the difference, don't you? Between involvement and commitment. I remember the humorous story of Farmer Jones. He's a good farmer. And the farmyard animals found out his birthday was coming in about a week. And so they thought, you know, what could we, we're mere farm animals. What could, we, what could we do for Farmer Jones? And so they clucked and mooed and talked. And finally one of them came up with the idea, we ought to go ahead and put a breakfast on for him. We could do that as farm animals. Oh, man, they thought that was great. So the chicken immediately began to cluck the old hen. Cluck, cluck, cluck. Ah, I'll provide the eggs. Whoa, great. We got eggs for breakfast. And the cow mooed and said, well, I'll provide the milk. Oh, man, this was going to be fantastic. And then they all all turned and looked at the pig. <laughs> you know, to provide the breakfast, the cow and the chicken were involved. But that pig, that was another ball game. That pig was committed. Amen? <laughs> Let me tell you, those in this chair, you know what their attitude towards serving the Lord is? It's what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I still trust in him. I'm not in this thing only when it's easy. I'm not serving him just, just as long as people don't do me wrong. I'm serving him until I go home to glory. Amen? Those in that chair, that godly chair, they're committed. Look at this, their relationship to truth. They're owners. Write that word in. They're owners. Years ago, I preached a message out of Proverbs 23 called, Buy the Truth and Sell It Not. They own it. They don't just borrow it. They don't just rent it. They own it. They're all in. And thirdly, their attitude towards serving God, it's a pretty simple one. They want to. They want to. Amen? It's not the attitude a young person has at 6.30 in the morning if there's chores to do. Oh, do I have to? You know, I mean, I, <laughs> the young generation, I, just Marine, I go Marine Corps when I hear this stuff. But it's like, you know, I, I feel like saying, suck it up, buttercup. Seriously, make your bed. Get up on time. You know, I mean, oh, don't get me started. That's a whole nother series. But, you know, those in that godly chair, you're not forcing them to serve the Lord. It's not, do I have to? Do I really have to go to church? No, it's do I get to? Oh, they want to serve the Lord. And notice, as we further describe that chair, Notice the characteristics of those who are seated in it. Go back to Joshua 24 and look at where that begins. Those in the godly chair, verse 14, he says this, Now therefore fear the Lord, watch this, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Their characteristics of those in that chair, the first thing is they fear the Lord. They genuinely, write that down, they fear the Lord. They fear the Lord. Could I just remind you this morning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, according to Proverbs 9. Man, I, I fly airline flights once in a while, and board of directors on some things, and then meetings and different stuff. So once in a while, I have to fly commercial. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes I board a jet, and I watch how children behave. And you know what the problem is? There's no fear. There's just no fear out there. I see how people live in America today. There's no fear of God today. People live horrible lives, say horrible things. We were just in a campground, and my wife came up to me after uh, at, at the morning, and she said, Han, I am so glad we have what we have. I said, why? 
She said, I just sat there and watched that lady just chew her husband out, up one side, down another, treat him like a piece of dirt. I'm telling you, hon, it was embarrassing. All because he left a toy in the pool that the kids had. Why do people live that way? Why do people have no shame about who they are and how they act, how they talk and what they view on the Internet? I'll tell you why. They have no fear of God. Those in that godly chair, chair, they fear God. There's a fear of the Lord. It begins that foundational life of theirs. And because of that, I, I wrote, they have sin sensitivity. They blush when they sin. Even if no one's around, God catches them. Amen? They fear the Lord. Number two, write this in. They serve the Lord. Those in the godly chair, they serve the Lord. But they serve Him in a unique way because when you talk to people in America, do you serve the Lord? Almost everybody says, yeah. But here's how they serve Him. They serve Him, notice Joshua notes it, in sincerity and in truth. What does that mean? What does it mean to serve the Lord and define it as a sincere service and a truthful service. First of all, thy word is truth. It means you serve him according to what he says is acceptable service. Amen? Truth has become very relative today. Oh, that's your truth? It works for you? Okay, but my truth is different. Let me tell you, truth changes not. Thy word is truth. And God doesn't accept everybody's sacrifice. You need to understand that. You need to worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen? Well, it goes over like screen doors in a submarine in America today. Well, I was, I, you know, I did that out of the goodness of my heart. God should accept it. No, there's some things God doesn't accept. He says, that's not in my nature to accept that. And then we serve him not according to truth, but in sincerity. What is that? What does it mean to serve God in sincerity and truth? The word sincere is a potter's term. It comes from the Roman Empire. It literally means without wax. You know, sometimes when you're firing a clay item in a kiln, there's a hairline fracture that occurs because of some, you know, some problem with it. Some, uh, it's a bad product. And what an unscrupulous merchant will do to save that wholesale cost and just throw it away, he'll go ahead and put wax in that hairline crack. He'll paint it on the inside, paint it on the outside, and he'll present it as a real thing. You can't see the crack. It looks real, but it's insincere. It has wax. And when you take it home and pour something hot in it, guess what happens? The wax melts, and that thing springs a leak. It's insincere. God says, I want you to worship me in sincerity and in truth. That means this, without wax, be real. People say, well, you know, but actually I'm a crackpot. Well, aren't we all? Then advertise yourself as that. Amen? Because the truth is we're all flawed individuals, aren't we? I love what Brother Prisk, my mentor, used to say. It's like old McDonald's farm. Here a flaw, there a flaw. Everywhere a flaw, flaw. You know, there's, we're flawed individuals. This place isn't supposed to be a wax museum, a perfection on display. That's not the goal of the local church. We're a hospital for sinners, and we're a hospital for saints. Amen? You with me? And listen, if you want any traction with God, you've got to come to Him just as you are. You've got to be real.
No politic and posture. Don't try to con him. My dad used to say, don't try to con me, David. He'd say that to me. Oh, don't con me, David. He'd been around a little longer. I know where you're going on this. God's been around forever. You can't con him. Those in that godly chair, they're real. They fear the Lord. They serve the Lord and they serve him genuinely and they serve him according to truth. And write this in, and it ultimately leads to this, number three, they obey the Lord. They obey the Lord. They obey him, and this is big. Those in this chair obey him when people are watching and they obey him when people aren't watching. They, they're sensitive to his presence and their life changes not whether public or private. They're totally consistent. Go on further. What's the focus of those in that chair? Well, their focus is upward. Write that in there. It's focus. Those in the godly chair, you know what? Their focus is upward. Let me illustrate. When you wake up in the morning and your little brain goes plink and turns on, and you start your day, whose smile are you chasing? Whose smile do you want on your life? Your brain turns on you and you say, I want to please, what's the fill in blank? We, we know the Sunday school answer, it's the Lord, but is it? Is that the smile you're looking for? At the end of the day, as you pillow your head, do you say, I want him to be pleased about how I live today. I want him to smile on what I said and where I went and what I did. Is it really that? Those in the godly chair, they genuinely care about what he thinks above all the others. Go to Psalm 51. Watch this. The very middle of your book is Psalms. The Bible, the very middle is the Psalms. Look at David. Look at his attitude here in Psalm 51. David has sinned against Bathsheba. He's committed adultery. He has murdered Uriah to, to cover it up. And notice what's said in Psalm 51. Nathan the prophet buttonholes him. And notice David's prayer here following being confronted by Nathan the prophet for his sin. In, in Psalm 51, in verse 1, he says this. His cry to God, have mercy upon me, O God. He cries for mercy. Verse 2, he cries for cleansing. Wash me truly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, he's honest. For I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is ever before thee. And I watch before me. Watch verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned. Wait a minute, David. You sinned against Bathsheba. You committed adultery. Wait a minute, David, you, you sinned against Uriah the Hittite and his entire family. You had him murdered. David, what do you mean against just the Lord? You sinned against the kingdom. You betrayed the kingdom by your actions. You know, as far as David was concerned, the ultimate person he let down above everybody else was the Lord. Was the Lord. His focus was upward. Specifically, it was, write this in your notes, the Lord. Those in that godly chair, that is their focus. It's the Lord. They care more about what he thinks than anybody else. And because of that, their life is totally consistent, privately and publicly. They're not spiritual schizoids. They're constant. Amen? 
Notice the habits of those in this chair. Write it in very quickly. This is important. Daily prayer and Bible reading. Daily prayer and Bible reading. It's a daily walk. It's not a religion. It's a relationship, just like a marriage. A marriage isn't something you check in once a, once a week on a Sunday. A marriage is a day-by-day relationship. That's what they have. They have a relationship with a risen Savior. And second of all, B, there's a confession of sin. They're always confessing their sin, even privately. Even if nobody knows, their sin sensitivity is high. Thirdly, there's faithfulness to the house of God. Write that in there. They're very faithful to the house of God. You don't have to wonder if they'll be there. They're just there. You know, people say to me, why do you go to the house of God? Well, this is where we meet with the people of God. We get to sing the songs of God. We get to read the word of God. We get to hear from the man of God. We get to be dealt with by the spirit of God. Bah! Well, I guess it was like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let me say, you're my crowd. Amen? Amen? I don't like hanging out at the bars. That's not my crowd. You with me? I don't ha- like hanging out a lot with lost people. I like saved people. I deal with lost people to get them in our family and get them on our side. But I love being with saved people as messed up as we are. Amen? You're still my crowd. And write this down. D. Those in that godly chair, there's a constant examination. Write that in there. There's a constant examination. Write that down. D, examination. They're always wanting to know what God thinks about how they're living. What do you think their spiritual temperature is? What do you think their spiritual temperature is? You want to guess? Talk to me. Hot. Say that with me. Hot. Man, they're passionate for the Lord. You know exactly whose side they're on. And notice something before we go to the next chair. Those in that chair enjoy three things that the flesh can never duplicate. I don't care how spiritual or how charactered you are. I don't care if you're German. I'm a very disciplined person before I joined the Marine Corps. Man, my home was already set up like that. Dad raised me like a drill instructor. I flourished in the Marine Corps. I thought I could do anything. German heritage, heavy character, farm boy, 620 every morning. That was revelation. But I'm going to tell you something I've learned. There are some things my flesh can never duplicate that only God can do for me. What are they? Number one, here's one thing you can't make happen. Answered prayers. Write that in there. You can't make answered prayers happen in your life. Number two, the second thing those in that godly chair enjoy that the flesh can never duplicate is abiding peace. doesn't matter what the stock market is doing. doesn't matter what the 401k is. You with me? There's a, there's a peace that passes all understanding because they're tied into the Prince of Peace and they're walking with a God who changes not. And thirdly, they experience power over sin. Write that one down. Those in that godly chair, the third thing they enjoy is power over sin. They actually have victory over sin. Let's go to chair three. People say, you skip chair two. Well, I'm going to the two obvious ones. Go to Judges chapter two and look with me at chair number three. Chair number three. I'm going to read it in Judges two and verse 10. Listen to what's said here. Judges two and verse 10. He said, and also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers and there arose another generation after them which knew 
not the Lord. What is chair number three? It is the godless chair. Those seated in chair number three are seated in the godless chair. Could I say this morning, without sounding harsh, many people in America today are seated in that chair. There are, that is a full chair today in America. They're godless in their attitude. They live as if God doesn't see what's going on. They do what they want to do, and they are not one interested, one bit interested in what God thinks about what they're doing. It's a, it's a full chair today. Look at the description of it. Their relationship to God is conflict. Write that down. They're not committed to the Lord. They're conflicted with Him. They're always living contrary to His Word. They're always living contrary to what He wants. Number two, their relationship to truth, they're rejectors. They're rejectors. They, they don't obey the Word. They reject it. If you were to say, the Bible says you shouldn't do that, you know what they would say? I don't care what the Bible says. Get out of here. I want to do what I want to do. They reject the truth of God's word. And thirdly, their attitude towards serving the Lord, what do you think it is? They don't want to. They'll tell you that. Why would I want to go to church? Why would I want to go ahead and give to the cause of Christ? Why would I want to spend time in a prayer meeting? They would look at you like you're serious. Notice the characteristics. Go to Judges 2. Watch this. As we move through that third chair, look at how this generation is described, and look at how these people are described. It says in verse 10, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, number one, which knew not the Lord. What's the first description and characteristic of those in the third chair? They don't know the Lord. He's an utter stranger to them. They don't know the Lord. What does that mean? Fill that next blanket. They're unsaved. They've never been born again. They're still in their sin. They're, they're unsaved people. And notice, because of that, look at what else happens in verse 12. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. They forsake the Lord. And then number three, write this in. They live sinful lives and serve other gods. They live sinful lives and they serve other gods. Those in this chair, you with me? They, they don't serve the Lord, they serve other gods. Could be the God of pornography. Could be the God of booze. Could be the God of self. Could be the God of drugs. Could be the God of pride. Could be the God of materialism. Could be the God of sports. Hey, America's got a whole pile of gods. Amen? They're not interested in serving the true and living invisible God. They got another God they chase. Oh, by the way, you know how I can find your God? It's real easy. Show me your credit card statements and checkbook and show me where you spend your time. You give me your time and you give me your treasure, I'll tell you who your God is. Every time. Because every God gets worshipped. Even the God of materialism and self. 
Those in that godless chair, oh, they serve a God, but it's not the true God. They live sinful lives. They serve other gods. And I wrote this down, number four in the notes. I just summarized it. Don't miss it. They do not fear, serve, or obey the Lord. They do not fear, or they leave their sin. They do not serve, and they do not obey the Lord. Go to Titus chapter 1. I want to give you this before we begin to turn to that final chair. Look with me in Titus chapter 1. It's in the New Testament. It's fascinating how the Spirit of God in the book of Titus shows us a third chair person here. And it's interesting to note how they're described. In First and Second Timothy, then Titus. In Titus chapter 1 and verse number 15, we have a third chair description in Titus 1, verse 15 and 16. You, you might want to write that down. Notice how these individuals in the third chair are described in the New Testament. For in Titus 1 and verse 15, he says this, Under the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Watch verse 16. You ready? They profess that they know God. Pause and look up for just a moment. If you were to ask them, are you a Christian? You know what a lot of them would say? Yeah, I did that. I prayed the prayer. Oh, yeah. I'm not a heathen. Don't, don't tell me I'm a heathen. They would profess with their lips that they know God. But then their life says something else. They profess that they know God, but watch this, but in works. That's how they live. That's how they talk. That's what they consume. That's what their diet is, carnal versus spiritual. But in works they deny Him. And notice this very clear description, being abominable. You can't even repeat some of the things they think, say, or do. And disobedient, they don't obey God's word. And unto every good work, reprobate, which means void of judgment. They have zero spiritual discernment. I just, turned, I just turned 58 uh, last month. And my, has my life been all over the world. I grew up a farm boy in Minnesota, so I'm no stranger to blue-collar work. I was driving tractors from the age of seven or eight. Just grew up early. Oldest, so alpha male, and high expectations. Then I joined the Marine Corps. Then I was a businessman. Uh, ran with the millionaires, uh, pastored, assistant pastored, all kinds of... My life has just been a plethora of experiences, and there's not a person in America that I meet that I don't have something in common. There is just something about you when I meet you. I can find something that is a similar experience I've had. And as you go through life, as I have gone through life, sometimes you'll meet somebody. Let me just use a modern term. They're just cool. They're just fun to be with. I'll sometimes meet a guy who is a former Marine. He's spent a tour or two in the Corps. Man, it's a fist bump. We're just in, man. Man, the guy, he was leadership material. He, he, just a great storyteller. We laugh together. We have a great time. He's got a great personality. He's a guy I like to hang with a little bit. But you notice, and I've had to do this, sometimes I have to get past their personality 
to figure out spiritually who they really are. And when I get past their personality and the great way we talk and laugh together, I notice that they don't fear the Lord. They don't love the Lord. They don't serve the Lord. In fact, they're disobedient to everything about my Savior. And when I get past their personality, I figure out they're just lost. That's what Titus is saying. At the end of the day, you have to get past their good intentions. Well, I mean to serve the Lord. Well, do you? Well, I meant to turn from that sin. Did you? You with me? I really planned to stop visiting those internet sites. Well, did you? You see, the lips isn't it. It's the life that says everything about who we really are. And you get past their personality, you get past their good intentions, and you get past their excuses. Well, I had a preacher do me wrong. Welcome to life. Who cares? Job said, though he slay me, yet I'll still trust him. Y'all with me? You get past their excuses. You get past their tears. Oh, women do this. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm just a sorry person. Fine. Are you going to serve the Lord? You get past their tears. You get past the con. You get past their excuses. You get past all of it. At the end of it, everything about their life, they don't serve the Lord. They don't obey the Lord. You need to just reckon who they really are. Isn't that what the Lord's going to do one day? He's not going to listen to what you say about you. He's going to just spread it all out and say, this is who you really are. Is there evidence to convict you of belonging to him? There ought to be. Those in the godless chair, it's just on their lips. It's really not in their life. Theirs is really a life of disobedience. And their focus, let's finish this chair, is inward. Write that in. Their focus is inward. It's all about self. It is self. That's who they live for. They don't live for the Savior. They live for self, pleasing self. Theirs is a life of self-absorption. I put the A in there for you. Self-gratification. I put the whole word in there for you. And then self-promotion. And, and look at the habits of those in this chair before we go to our final chair. They love the world. They love their sin. And they live totally for this life only. Their spiritual temperature is not hot. What do you think it is? Cold. Say it. Cold. cold. It's cold. They're cold to the Lord. They're hot for the gods of this world and for the God of self. Their spiritual temperature is cold. Now, before I go to that final chair, I want to ask you a question because it's in the bottom of the notes, and I want you to answer it with a raised hand. Though these two chairs are polar opposite, the godly chair, hot, the godless chair, cold. The godly chair focused upward, the godly, godless chair focused inward. Though these are opposites, they share one common thread. There's something these two chairs have in common. And when you hear it, you go, yeah, that's it. What is the commonality that you'll find in both of these chairs? Raise your hand, sis. Conviction. We can build on that. Passion for their God. Amen? Right? They, that first chair and that third chair person, they are totally consistent 
and they're unashamed of their God. You with me? And because of that, there's no confusion whose side they're on. You with me? I mean, they are all in. Those in the godly chair, they are totally for the true and living God. Those in this one, they are totally for their sin. And if they can get you to join them, oh, that makes their day. They are without hypocrisy. They are as real as you can be. Amen? Their public and private life is always consistent. And they're unashamed of their God. Amen? Could you, somebody raise your hand. You say, you say, I know somebody at work that is in that third chair and they are unashamed about the fact they're in the third chair. Just raise your hand. I know people. I was in the Marine Corps, man. I, I could tell you a whole bunch of Marines that were unashamed of serving, serving their sea. And I remember when I started a Bible study up and posted a scripture verse, they playboy centerfolded my whole door just to go ahead and say, hey, what are you bringing truth into the barracks for? You know what I'm saying? I said, whoa, that lit them up. I peeled that stuff off, put a bigger verse. For two and a half years, we had centerfold and verse wars on my door on the second deck. Unashamed of my God, they were unashamed of their God. Amen? Very easy to see where somebody stands. But let's go to that final chair as we close this morning. Chair number two. Interesting. All kinds of resolution and resolve in chair number one, but it crumbled to rejection in chair number three. How did we get there? Could I say that the crown does not endure to every generation? Just because you're serving the Lord today doesn't mean your children will serve the Lord. Could I get an amen there? Just because your kids are serving the Lord doesn't necessarily mean your grandchildren will. There's an inferred digression here. And it's very well represented in the second chair. What is that second chair? Write this down. It's the God-limited chair. It's the God-limited chair. 1957 and 1958... New York City experienced an unbelievable spiritual revival. It started and was triggered through a man named Jeremiah Lanfear. It was a one-hour prayer meeting. He offered businessmen. That thing grew at its height to over 50,000 people getting saved every single week. And not just praying a prayer. Begging God for mercy, pouring themselves out in tears, confessing every sin they could think of, a crumbling, crushing revival that swept our eastern seaboard for two solid years. Sailors coming in on ships off shore didn't even know what was going on. They would be smitten two miles out with incredible conviction and begging God for mercy. They didn't even know it was The Spirit of God was moving in a very unique way. But if you visit Manhattan today, the only evidence that the Holy Spirit of God ever visited New York City in such a way is a copper bronze bench, a bronze bench with a bronze statue of Jeremiah Lanfear beckoning you to come and sit with him and pray for a little bit of time. It's a godless place today. The crown doesn't endure to every generation. God does great things in people's lives, but many times we limit the Holy One of Israel through our unbelief. That second chair represents what can happen if we just let things go to their natural end. It's the God-limited chair. 
Notice with me, those in that chair, their description is follows. Their relationship to God is compromise. The relationship to God is compromise. They're not committed, they compromise. Their relationship to truth, they're renters. They borrow it, and they use it once in a while. Have you ever done this in a church service? You've heard a great message, and you said, wow, so-and-so should have been here. They really needed that. You ever done that one? I call that the shovel mentality. Great truth for you. Amen? Let me tell you something. You come to the house of God, you don't want to have a shovel. You ought to get a rake. That's a great truth for me. Amen? I'm not going to shovel it over there. First of all, I can't control that person. I'm the one in charge of me. Amen? And if you can identify they needed the truth, guess what? You probably needed it too. Man, we ought to show up with a rake tonight. Amen? Forget the shovel thing. Get a rake. We need the truth. Their relationship to truth, they rent it. They don't own it. Their attitude towards serving God, have to. Have to. I would imagine today that some of you are here today because you have to be here. Your spouse has nagged you into coming. Your parents made you come. You know, I like what Kenny Baldwin says. If anybody knows Kenny Baldwin, he said, all my life I was drugged. I was drugged to church, drugged to the house of God, drugged to camp, drug, 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 drug. There's nothing wrong with being drugged that way, man. We'll take that. If you don't want to be, maybe something will catch, right? But sadly, sometimes that second chair is just a have-to, not a want-to situation. Notice the characteristics of those seated in it. They're not fully committed. They're only involved. They're only involved. They're not passionate about the Lord. And write this one down. This is a big one. In your notes, those in that second chair, they conform to this world. They conform to this world, not that one. What do we mean by that? Go to Romans 12. We're almost done this morning. And notice with me in Romans chapter 12. In Romans 12, in verse number 1, we're being beckoned by God to present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. And notice what he says in verse 2 of Romans 12. Look at what he says. And be not, what's that word there? Okay, say the word out loud with me. Conformed. Say it again. Conformed. He's beckoning them. As you present your body a living sacrifice to the Lord, don't be conformed to the image of this world. That means pressed into her mold. Just like a form when you pour concrete. You press it in and at the end it looks like the form. This world has a mold it wants to pour you into. It wants to pour your attitudes into a mold. It wants to pour your appearance into a mold. It wants to pour, pour your activities into a mold and your associations. It has a mold for you tonight. Or today. Amen? He says, don't get conformed to this world's mold, but instead what? Be ye, what's that word? Transform. Say it with me. Transform. Say it again loudly. Transform. That means made new from the inside by the renewing of your mind. You know, those in the second chair, they conform to this world. They literally want to be like the world they're living in. 
Look up for just a moment. I want you to catch something here. What's the difference between first chair and second chair Christians? You want to make it real easy? A first chair Christian is a thermostat. They set the temperature. A second chair Christian is a thermometer. All right? I'm going to say that again. Those in the first chair, because they walk so close to the Lord, they light up what's around them for the Lord. They're that hot. They influence others. You with me? They change their surroundings. When they come into work and the dirty jokes are being told, people, people get uncomfortable around them for hanging out. You know, oh man, so-and-so's here. Don't be talking like that. You know what I'm saying? Y'all with me? You with me? Their presence, because they're so walking with the Lord, they, they don't have to make people do things. They just, they're, they're walking with the Lord and there's, there's, they become this thermostat. It influences those around them. Amen? But those in that second chair, they're just a thermometer. Well, they come to the house of God, they kind of start acting spiritual. Then they go home to the world. Oh, they act like the world. You know what I'm saying? They just take on whatever they're around. There's no inner compass. They're just a thermometer that just reflects who they're with. Second chair Christians, they do two things. First, they try to create a second heaven. They conform to this world. But second of all, they try to serve, write this down, two gods. They try to serve two gods. Go to Matthew 6. We're almost done today. Look with me in Matthew 6. None other than Jesus Christ notes this impossible dream, this virtual spiritual impossibility of serving two masters. And he deals with it in Matthew chapter 6. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 6, in verse number 24. He says, how many men can serve two masters? What does he say? How many? No man can serve two masters. Notice why. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And then he notes the two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Raise your hand if you know what mammon is. It's wealth and materialism. It's the world system. It's the idea of buying things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even care about. It's the American dream. You want me to say that again? This is the American dream. It's become the nightmare. Buying things we don't need with money we don't have. Welcome to the credit company to impress people we don't even care about. Keeping up with the Joneses. The Lord makes it very clear, you cannot serve God and mammon. But American Christianity is trying to do just that. We have heaven up there, but you know what? We want heaven down here too. You with me? And we get preoccupied with things that have no great value. Paul kind of put it in context. He says, you know... The world is crucified unto me, and I'm crucified to the world. What was he saying? He said, when I walk into the party, the world treats me like I'm dead. 
Nobody invites Paul to the party. I'm the last guy they want at the party because I'm the party pooper. I'm the one that kills the stupid thing. You know what I mean? I'm the one that asks them, hey, when you die, where are you going? We're not here to talk about death. We're here to have some fun. Y'all with me? Paul says, I show up, and that world wishes I never came to their party. They treat me like I'm dead. I don't do a thing for them. But then he flips it, and this is where we miss it. And oh, by the way, the world doesn't do anything for me. Because compared to heaven, it's a passing fancy. That's what's eternal. Those in that second chair, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to ride two horses going opposite directions. And it's nothing but a train wreck. They get all confused and messed up about their priorities. And notice with me, the ultimate focus is outward. They're most concerned about what others think about them, not what the Lord knows about them. The habits of those in that chair, they often do attend church from time to time, but they do not read their Bible every day. They don't have an established prayer life, and they don't confess their sin daily. They often serve God, don't miss this, publicly, but they live a different life privately. Their spiritual temperature, what do you think it is? Say it. It's lukewarm. It's lukewarm. You know, as we close this morning, you need to recognize those in that second chair do not see answered prayers because they're not even praying. They do not enjoy abiding peace. All it is is happiness. It's not long-lasting peace. But thirdly, they don't have power over sin either. As we close, get your pens ready because this is my point, my final point, and you don't want to miss this. This chair right here. You want to know the danger of this chair, the second chair? This chair, not the third chair, not godless people, God-limited Christians. This chair produces most of the third chair people in the world today. I'm going to say that again. This chair. The believer who's trying to serve two gods the believer who's trying to conform to this world, the believer who has a, they're reaching for heaven, but they, oh, they got to have the stuff down here too. You know, that chair, that's the one that produces most of the third chair people today that hate God and want nothing to do with him. Why? Raise your hand if you know the answer to that. Why? Sis, you can't answer this. You were in the earlier one. You just take those little crutches and sit there quietly. No, ma'am. Why? Why? I'm glad you remember it, though. <laughs> why? Why? Why not the third chair godless people? Why, don't, why is it the second chair that produces the hard and fast third chair people? Somebody, come on. Raise your hand if you think you know the answer. The, why? Okay. Pause. Brother? Okay, you're touching it. They don't enjoy salvation. What else? Sis, what were you going to say? 
Okay, conflict. There's lack of joy. There's conflict. Look at that. Look at how that second chair, you guys are catching something here. What, what were you going to say, sis? Ah, so we could say lack of joy, conflict, confusion, what? No commitment. It's impossible, Lenny. They're hypocritical. They're conflicted. Their hypocrisy hardens hearts, and they sow confusion into the lives of those that see them every day trying to figure out what's real. When you look at second-chair people, because they have a public life and a private life, they cause great confusion in the hearts of their children. First, there's the mother. Publicly, she's in church, and always, oh, isn't she a sweetie? And she's telling this lady what she should do to have victory over something. And then she comes home, and she's slamming the cupboard. She's bad-mouthing her man. She's using bad words. And the kids go, wait a minute. I've got this, this public mom, but then I've got this private mom. Then there's a public dad. He's, oh, he's a deacon or he's whatever, but then he's watching porn when the backs are turned to everybody else and the kids start going, wait a minute, wait a minute. If our God is so real and I'm told I'm supposed to serve him with all my heart, what do we have here? And they're living in a ship that is messed up, it's confused, it's carnal, it's contentious, it claims to have the truth, but man, it is so hypocritical and weird. They don't know up from down. The value system isn't clear. And here's what happens. Kids living in a home like that, they start looking around. They go, you know what? This is a weird ship, man. This is messed up. We say we got the truth, but we fight like cats and dogs. Man, we say we're this, but we're really that. And you know what? One day the world sails by, and the world third chair people are as real as you can get. And it sails by, and it's having fun. And you know what they say? I'm jumping ship, and I'm at least going over to where it's real, and they actually are having fun while they go through life. It happens all the time. The most dangerous chair to me up there is the second chair because of the fruit that it produces. It sows confusion in the hearts of others. Mahatma Gandhi said this, I'd be a Christian if it wouldn't be for Christians. You have the most lovely God, but you don't live for him. As we close this morning, turn the page. Which chair has your name on it? Which chair has your name on it? I'm going to ask a question, and I don't want to know but I want you to raise your hand. Now, here's the thing I found in the short time I've begun to preach this. Most of the time, when someone doesn't raise their hand, they've raised their hand, okay? How many of you found your chair this morning? How many of you found your chair this morning? Amen? In the spirit of honesty, let me say this. Where are my children seated this morning? Well, we have six children. Four of them are in this chair. 
One of them bounces between the two chairs. And one of my six children is in the third chair. In spite of everything he's heard, his God is self. He does not want to serve the Lord. Oh, where am I? Primarily here. But once in a while, I don't know, but it happens. I slip over to that second chair. The world beckons. I think I can get some fleeting joy out of this life, and so I begin to, to plant there, you know. People say, which chair is the more comfortable of the two now that you're saved? I found the one that I sit in the longest gets the warmest. Why I throat a song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Then he added this, here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Which chair has your name on it? Where do your children sit? Young people, where do your parents sit? You know them well. If you're in the third chair today, I hope you get saved. But if you're in the second chair, you ought to ask God to break your heart because you're trying to do something spiritually impossible better than you have tried to serve two gods and have failed. Don't leave a trail of wreckage by sitting in that second chair. Amen? Let's stand and commit these thoughts to the Lord. Father, we thank you this morning for this message. Lord, as we bow our hearts before you, I praise the faithful.